My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And I want to welcome you to Peace by Believing. Thank you for joining us today. And I don't know where you might be listening, but I pray that you have peace in your heart. I pray that you have an unusual awareness of God's presence in your life. I, I don't know how it is with you, but I know sometimes in my life, I don't really feel the presence of God. Now, there are many times in my life when I do feel God's presence, and I just know that He is with me. But... You know, sometimes our feelings can fail us and our feelings can deceive us. And sometimes we just can't feel God. And I just feel led to say to a person out there today who might be listening, maybe you feel like God has abandoned you or that God has forgotten you. Friend, I want to assure you that is not true. Jesus promised that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. Sometimes, though, we just don't feel his presence. And I want to remind you today, we can't live by feelings. The Bible says we walk by faith not by sight. And that is so true. And we walk by faith, not feelings. Like I say, some days I feel the presence of God. Some days I just I just don't feel it. It seems like God's a million miles away. But if you don't feel God's presence, just keep trusting Him anyway. And that feeling will return eventually. But while it may be gone, just demonstrate to God that you're not depending on your feelings. You're dependent upon His Word, His promise to never, ever leave you. Now, you've chosen a good day to listen today, and uh, I believe this program will be a blessing to you. We're going to be thinking today about what to do when the odds are against us. And you may feel like at this time in your life that the odds are against you. Maybe you've gotten a bad report from the doctor or Maybe something else has happened and you say, man, this situation is hopeless and I don't see any way I could come through this. The odds are so against me. Well, we're going to be studying today from the life of a man named Jehoshaphat. He was a king back in Old Testament times. And we're going to begin a study today of his life and see how on one occasion the odds were certainly against him, but how he turned to the Lord and he sought the Lord and uh, God just did a miracle in his life. So if the odds are against you today, be encouraged. You plus God is a majority, and God's going to bring you through if you'll trust him and if you will seek his face. You know, I have to say this one more time for the 2017 season. How about them Astros? Wasn't that fantastic last week? Unbelievable. Unbelievable season, over 100 wins in the regular season, and then we got in the postseason. Think about what just happened. We beat the Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, and L.A. Dodgers all in the same postseason. Unbelievable. After Hurricane Harvey, so many people have been flooded, and I think one of the things we love about those Astros is I think they were really playing not for themselves, but for the city of Houston and for all of us who live near Houston. And uh, I just think it was one of the greatest sports stories in American history. And I've been so excited about it, you know, ever since it happened. And they won that thing Wednesday night. I woke up Thursday and I said, I'm so excited. I want to preach a sermon about the Houston Astros. And then I thought, I, I'm not allowed to do that because they're not in the Bible. I'm supposed to preach what's in the Bible. And then I thought, well, okay, what, what is it about the Astros that I like so much? I think the thing is, so many things. I mean, those, they never gave up. I mean, down to the Yankees, three games or two, had to come home, win game six and seven at Minute Maid. They did that. World Series with the Dodgers, 
nobody picked them to win. And some of those games, we were down like four runs, and yet Altuve and Springer and Correa, all, nobody gave up. They just kept on keeping on, and they, they overcame great odds. And so I think that's what we like about that team is that they're not quitters, they never give up, and they're overcomers. And so I got to thinking, is there any example in the Bible about somebody who was in a situation where they were up against it? I mean, where the odds were stacked against them, and somehow, miraculously, they came through, they defied the odds by God's grace, and they overcame, and they were victorious. And I started thinking about one person after another, Abraham and Sarah having a baby when they're 190 years of age, respectively. Moses beginning his career at 80 after 40 years in the wilderness where he thought he was doomed because of a sin he had committed. Joseph, you talk about that TV show, Locked Up Abroad. He was locked up in Egypt for a crime he had never committed, thought his life was over. God got him out. He's the prime minister against all odds from the prison to the palace. Unbelievable. I think about David on so many occasions. Saul was after him. At one time, his son Absalom was after him with his army. And in Psalm 3, David said, many are they who rise up against me. And yet, you read the story of David time and again. He overcame. God brought him through, and he defied the odds. I think about when we come to the New Testament. I mean, the greatest example of anybody is Jesus. Jesus was dead. He was buried in a grave, and yet from death came life, from a crucifixion came a resurrection. You talk about overcoming the odds. Jesus Christ, when he came out of that grave on that first Easter, he overcame the odds, and he was victorious. And I thought, man, I could preach on any of those illustrations and a whole lot more But then I thought, but you know, our people are fairly familiar with those stories. I could talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel in the lion's den. But you know these stories. So I thought, God, is there a story, is there a person in the Bible who overcame great odds, and maybe we're not quite as familiar with that person's story as some of these others. And I think I found the person. So if you'll open your Bibles today to 2 Chronicles chapter number 20, we're going to be studying about a king in Judah whose name was Jehoshaphat. Now say that name out loud, Jehoshaphat. Now say it three times as fast as you can. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing because it twist all of our tongues up. But Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, which was in the southern part of Israel, for 25 years. He was a godly king. Uh, He was not perfect. He had some things he should have done that he didn't do, and then one thing he did that he shouldn't have done. But nonetheless, the Bible says that Jehoshaphat uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And yet there came a time in Jehoshaphat's life where he was ruling and reigning there in Jerusalem where these three different armies who were kind of situated near the Dead Sea, they joined forces together and they decided that they would attack Jehoshaphat, the city of Jerusalem, the whole Judean kingdom, and that they would wipe out all the Jews living there. And there were far more people in these three armies than Jehoshaphat had in his army in Jerusalem. And it was a surprise attack. And so they were not prepared for this. The way the landscape is over there, if you're coming up from the Dead Sea to Jerusalem, you're coming up some pretty steep mountains there. And so Jehoshaphat and his group could not see these invading armies coming their way. And we read about this, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab 
with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. Now look in verse 3, because here is Jehoshaphat's initial response to these invading armies. The Scripture says, And Jehoshaphat feared. And when I read that, I'm kind of encouraged I guess misery loves company, to read about a man, such a great king, such a, an iconic figure in the Old Testament, to think that when the odds were against him, he experienced fear. He experienced some anxiety. He had a moment of panic and, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? He knows what that's like. And so that says to all of us who have felt that, we're human. It's okay. It's just a normal and a natural response. But what Jehoshaphat did after that initial panic and fear overcame him, he decided to do some very practical things. And by the time you come to the 30th verse of this chapter in 2 Chronicles, we find that all these invading armies were defeated. Jehoshaphat won. His army was victorious. And so when I was working on this sermon on Friday, what I did, I read verses 1 through 30, and I started thinking about it. And I made some notes about how they overcame these odds. And I thought, what a great sermon outline that would be if I could just read this pull out the truths, say to the people on Sunday, those of you today who are up against it, the odds are against you. You're in a dire strait, physically, emotionally, financially, in a relationship, at work, some other way, that I could just say, if you will do these things, you'll put yourself in a position to experience victory in your life. And so, I, as I read this, I actually noticed three things, and I wish you'd just jot all three of these down. I'll give them to you very quickly. Here's what happens in these 30 verses of 2 Chronicles 20. Number one, Jehoshaphat turned to God. So just write it this way, turn to God. That's the first thing you do when the odds are against you. You turn to God. The second thing you do is you wait on a word from God. In other words, when you turn to God in prayer, you're talking to Him. But after you talk to him, you have to listen. You have to wait. And you have to receive whatever it is God has to say to you. In other words, when you're pouring out your heart to God and telling God about your situation, asking God what to do, God will tell you. He may not tell you immediately, but God will tell you. So you wait on a word from God. And then number three, after you've received that word, you watch God work. In other words, God may have told you to do something specifically, so you do that thing, certainly, but then you watch God. We know that victory doesn't come from ourselves. Victory comes from God, and I read that, and I thought, God, there's it. There's the sermon. When we're up against it, when the odds are not in our favor, when it looks like there's no way we can come through this thing, what we need to do is turn to you. We need to wait for a word from you. And we need to watch you work. And so that's what I was going to preach to you today. But as I continued to read this passage, and as I continued to try to get a little bit deeper into the passage, I thought, that is way too much information. And if I preach all that, people are going to leave church with their heads spinning on Sunday. And I will too, because it's just too much. And so what I want to do is to take what would have been one sermon and make it three sermons. And next week, I want to talk to you about... 
waiting on God to speak, waiting on a word from God, how to receive a word from God, how to hear from God, how to know what God wants you to do. That deserves to be its own sermon. And then the next week, I want to talk about how we can watch God work in our lives and do things that defy our own logic, that go against our own understanding, and that leave us spellbound, knowing at the end of that, it had to be the hand of God. And so those are the next two Sundays. But today, I want us to focus on the first thing that Jehoshaphat did after his initial fear, after his initial panic. And the first thing that he did was that he turned to God. And so that's going to be the focus. When the odds are against you, what do you do? You turn to God. Now look back in verse number three, or look in verse number three. It says, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat said, this situation is so dire. It is so serious. It is so overwhelming. It is so intimidating. The best thing that we could do is to fast and pray and seek God and call on God and pray for divine intervention and ask God to get involved in this situation with us. And since he was the king, he had the the authority to do that. He proclaimed to fast. But the people joined him in that fast, and they sought God. Now, I hope today, I said this in the first service, I hope it's true in both services, that no one today is in such a dire situation that you would have to fast for that situation. I hope that that you're not going through something like that, because if a person is in such a situation where they're having to fast, That means something is very serious in your life or in the life of someone you love. Now, if we live long enough, the odds are there will be times in our lives when we go through things physically, emotionally, in relationships, at work, financially, a thousand other ways where God may lead us to fast. God may lead us to, to go without food for a day or for one meal, or maybe for us it's not even a food fast. Maybe it's We turn the TV off and say, God, I want my house to be quiet for a day or two or three or seven days so that I can hear from you more clearly. The first time that I ever got in a situation in my life that I would consider, and it was a serious situation and an intimidating situation and a confusing situation to me, and and was in 1998. I'm not saying I'd never had a problem before 1998 because I had, but I'm saying a situation that was just super serious. And I remember one day talking to a friend of mine named Loretta Brown. Most of y'all, some of you would remember Loretta, others of you would not. But Loretta, uh, her family is all from Florida. And she used to manage Kmart stores all across Texas. And so when we lived in East Texas, she managed the Kmart store there. And before we even moved to Pasadena, she moved down here and managed the Kmart in Pearland. So when we ended up moving to Pasadena in 1990, we reconnected with Loretta. Loretta was single, she still is, a, a, wonderfully, a wonderful Christian, and she used to spend Christmas with our family, Thanksgiving with our family, birthdays, special occasions, we were always, it was the four of us and Loretta, so she's part of the family. In 1998, now Loretta has since moved to Florida, but in 1998 she lived here, and I was, she's kind of like a big sister to me. And I said to Loretta, and she knew some of the things I was facing, and, and, and we were just talking one day, and she said, John, let me ask you a question. Have you thought about fasting? 
And my initial response to that was, no, I, haven't, I have not thought about fasting. I said, I believe in it. It's in the Scripture. But I've never done that. And I haven't really considered fasting. And she said, well, I'm going to make a pact with you. She said, I'm going to challenge you on something. She said, I want you to think about fasting. Don't make the commitment right now, but think about it. And in a few days, if you feel in your heart that it would be a good idea for you to go on a little three-day fast, she said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to join you on that. I will partner with you. If you'll go three days without food, I'll go three days without food. And I thought on the fourth day, can we go out and eat something and get some food? But she said, three days if you feel led. So I thought about that for a day or so, and I called Loretta, and I said, you know, I've never done anything like this. But I am in a serious situation. And she had used Esther in the Old Testament, who was the queen there in Persia. She was a Jewish girl who had become queen. And the king of Persia had issued a command that all the Jews be exterminated. And so Esther said to the Jews living there, we need to fast. We need to pray. We need to seek the Lord or we're going to be killed. She fasted. They fasted. God came through and God intervened. And Loretta said to me, she said, John, just like God answered Esther, God will answer and honor our prayers. We need to fast and pray. And so we did. I think until today, I've never even shared that with anybody other than Loretta and I knew that. And so what I'm saying is today, you may be in a season or a time, you've hit a wall and you just can't get beyond it. You might want to think about fasting. I would encourage you to not do it if, you're not, if you can't physically do it, medication-wise, don't. Uh, but if you could, maybe if, even if it's not food, I think God would honor any kind of sacrifice like that. Talk about it if you're married with your spouse. If you're single, talk about it to God and let him show you what to do. Nonetheless, that's what Jehoshaphat did. He and his people began to pray. They began to fast. They began to seek the Lord. And they said, God, they're coming to wipe us out, these three armies. We need your help. Now, it's interesting. As I was reading this prayer and studying what Jehoshaphat said, we'll pick it up in verse 5. His prayer starts out, and you might want to just jot this down because you think, John, what do I even pray if I set aside, even if you just skip one lunch or turn TV off one night, from 7 o'clock till bedtime, and just say, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. What do I say to God? Here's what you do. You begin with a season of praise. He said, no, wait a second. I don't know about praising God. The reason I'm fasting is because I'm going through some drama and trauma, and what I need to do is just ask God to get involved. Well, that's, that's coming in a moment. But you don't begin your prayer time by asking God, telling God what you're going through, you begin by focusing on God, by praising God. Why? First of all, it's the right and honorable thing to do, but also when we focus and praise God for who He is, it has a way of magnifying God above our own situation. The psalmist said, magnify the Lord with me. Say that with me. Magnify the Lord with me. When you magnify God, it's not like God gets bigger. I mean, God's already big. He's, he's God. He's infinitely big. He's immense. But when you magnify God and praise God, it's helping you to see the vastness of God over your situation. That's what Jehoshaphat did, verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. So here he is in the temple in Jerusalem before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? 
And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. There's his prayer of praise. And if we had time this morning, we could break that prayer down and we could really dissect what was he saying in that prayer. And we could see that as Jehoshaphat began to praise God, he praised him for his power. He said, God, you're God in heaven and you rule over all the earth. He praised God not only for his power, he praised him for his provision, all the things God had done. He praised God for his purpose. In other words, he said, God, in the past, you have brought your people into this area where we're now living, but when you brought them in, you had a purpose in mind that they would build you a temple, a house of worship, so that you could have a house here on earth. And so, God, you had a purpose even in difficulties in their life. Then he focused on God's presence. Now, when you're praying, you don't have to say all that. You don't have to say, now, what were those four words John says start with a P? God, I praise you for your power, for your provision, for your purpose, for your presence. You can say that, but when you begin to pray, In your hour of need and difficulty, when you need divine intervention, when you need a miracle, when you need God to come and help you and give you wisdom, you need to begin that prayer by focusing on God. You know, when I do this, I don't really think about, you know, acrostinated words necessarily. I just say this to God. I say, God, I want to just say to you today in what I'm going through, I know you're sovereign. And so, God, what I'm facing right now I don't, and I've been through some things, I know God didn't cause them, other things he may have caused, but all of them he allowed, and I say, God, this thing I'm facing right now in my life, you have allowed this into my life. Now, I don't know why you allowed it, it doesn't make any sense to me why you would let this happen, but God, I believe you're in control, I believe you have a purpose, and I just want you to know, God, before I even begin to pour out my heart to you and tell you how I feel, I want to just tell you, God, I trust you and I believe that you're absolutely in control of my life. And when you do that, somehow it changes your perspective on the situation, especially that part about God being in control, God allowing you to be going through what you're going through, and not only that God allowed it, but that God has a purpose in mind. See, that's the thing that helps me so much. When I'm going through difficulty, God, there's a purpose in this. There's something you're trying to teach me. There's something you want to show me. There's a way that I can grow. There's a way I can get closer to you. And so, God, I praise you for being a purposeful God in everything that you allow me to go through. So we start out praising God for who he is. We're going to have to stop right there for today, but that's okay. That's a good place to stop because no matter what you may be going through today or what I may be going through today, the wisest thing that any of us could do is to focus on God. So many times in life when the odds are against us and circumstances seem so overwhelming, it's just natural for us to focus on our problems or our responsibilities or on the crisis that we might be facing at that time. But the scripture is clear that When we focus on God, somehow we're able to see our circumstances and our challenges much more clearly. And so that's kind of my word for you today. I just encourage you 
to focus on God. Focus on the fact that God is with you. As I said at the beginning, you may not feel His presence, but He's there with you nonetheless. Focus on the fact that God is absolutely in control of your life. I don't know what you might be going through, but I know this. God has allowed that to come into your life. Now, there are a lot of things in life that we go through that God doesn't cause to happen. But God allows things to happen. And so you just need to understand, as a child of God, you will never go through anything that was not allowed by God. It's been sifted through His fingers and allowed into your life. It's been allowed into your life for a good purpose. And it may be that God has allowed you to go through what you're going through right now so that you could come to know Him in a personal way, so that you could receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart, I would encourage you to do that now. You can just pray a simple prayer wherever you might be and say, Lord, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. If you'll pray that prayer and trust Jesus to answer it, He will save you. And uh, you'll be empowered to go forward with Christ in your heart. I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. I pray that you have a great week, that you'll be encouraged, and that you will go with God into the new week.